You ever feel lost, uninspired, alone, or defeated? Well, I'm inviting you to some fellow dreamers for some insight. I believe dreams matter, and you have one, or two, or ten, I don't know. To tackle challenges with love instead of fear is the first step. So let's experience this together as we dive into the stills of life. Are you ready? Go with the flow. Hey everybody, welcome to Stills of Life. My guest is a friend and a working screenwriter based in Los Angeles. Born in Alexandria, Virginia, he fled the brutal winter to pursue writing and beknownst to some of you, acting as well. He's got several top secret projects in development, which we may or may not reveal. He's also a talented director and producer. Most recently won an award for best short film for It's Been Like a Year, which I had a cameo in that he ultimately cut. He's one of the funniest people I know who's personally helped me with script notes and acting in short films I directed in the past. His name, uh, what's your name? Cameron, Cameron Fay. Welcome, Cameron. <laughs> That's gold. That's yes. so funny. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for having me, Billy. This Actually, is very I should, exciting. I should thank you for letting me come. I'm sitting in your house right now. There's a sexual joke in there, and we're going to move past it. <laughs> Move past it. Okay, so when did you move to L.A.? Jumping right in. Uh, I moved to L.A. in August of 2003. I moved back to, to the East Coast, to New York, um, a few weeks later for a few months to finish my senior short film from NYU. And then I kind of fully, finally moved out permanently in January of 2004. Okay. Did you graduate yeah. from NYU? I graduated from the New York University. You couldn't just drop out like those other directors? No, they're stuff? smarter than me. They, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he spent like a week there or something. He's like, this is for idiots. I'm going to go make some Oscar-winning movies now. See yeah. You later. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you never ran into Adam Sandler, Spike Lee... I mean, you mean as like, I mean, I'm, they're much older than me, but as like, as like, I mean, Spike Lee was teaching a class for the grad students when I was there. Uh -huh. I was undergrad, so I couldn't take any of his courses. I did take a course taught by Sam Pollard, who edits a lot of Spike Lee's movies. So that's the closest I got to Spike Lee. He still edits for him to this day? I don't know if his most recent editing credit, but he did edit a lot of movies for him. Okay. I don't know. I don't. I haven't kept up with Sam Pollard's credits, but at the time it was like, oh, you're taking a class with Sam Pollard. Oh man, he he edits some of Spike shit. So no. stuff. I don't know if you can curse. Well, you can yeah. curse. Yeah, okay. Cool. Not to me though. Well, not, well, I'll never curse you out, but I just you know. <laughs> okay, so you knew early on that you wanted to go into film. I mean, you embraced NYU, so. Yeah, no, I, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be an electrical engineer. Oh. And I know, and I took a class that they had there, and I was like, oh, this is more difficult than just taking apart VCRs and putting them <laughs> back together. This is like actual, you need to be smart to do this. I cannot do that. Uh, so then I, for some reason, took physics, and I was like, no, this is worse. <laughs> this, is, this is equally horrible for me and my limited brain capacity so then I went um, the tennis coach I was on the tennis team the tennis coach taught a class called film study uh -huh. uh, Mr. Bird and he I was telling him how I had dropped the electrical engineering class and the phys physics class and he was like come finish the semester in film study like and I you know I liked movies mainly comedies but like yeah. I didn't know anything about movies and he showed me like 
The Graduate and Cool Hand Luke and 2001 A Space Odyssey and like all these great older films that I hadn't even heard of. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, so that got me into film, but I didn't have the grades to get into NYU uh, out of high school. So I got a tennis scholarship to play one year in San Diego, uh, basically, so I could get my general eds out of the way and, um, you know, try to get good grades. Mm-hmm. And I did. I got at a 4.0 freshman year of college, and that transferred to NYU. Hate you. Okay. Well, I was I was literally like I'm gonna be such a dork and focus on getting good grades so that I can get into a film school. So I, I applied to NYU, USC, and Florida State, mm-hmm. and Florida State rejected me very quickly. And I was like, oh well, I'm screwed. I'm not getting into NYU or USC. And then USC waitlisted me, so I was like, uh oh, there's a shot here. And then NYU, they just weren't giving me the answer, and I just kept calling them. And finally, the woman on the phone, I don't remember her name, but God bless her, she was like, like kind of <laughs> worn down of me calling her. I was like, all right, I'll just, if I tell you, you can't tell anyone I told you. And wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, what? And she's like, you got in. And I was like, ah! I was like screaming. I was so excited uh, in my childhood home. So... Uh, yeah, so then I was like, well, fuck the other two places. Sorry, I curse again. Um, and I went to NYU. Wow. So it kind of started with Mr. Bird, tennis, and then that's mm-hmm. when the bug really struck. Yeah, just watching those older films in high uh-huh. school, learning about like Mike Nichols and Stanley Kubrick and all yeah. these great directors and actors and cinematographers and just, you know... Um, yeah, just, you know, how movies were made and, you know, how great stories were told. That was just something that, that grabbed me. And, I you know, growing up in Virginia, it's not really a job that anyone goes into. You know, no, I, didn't, I didn't know anyone that was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker in yeah. my high school. Like, um, wh- One other kid from my high school went to NYU, and he was like a political science major. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was a very rare thing to do, but I just was like, maybe there's a way to do this somehow. Mm-hmm. And I started writing short scripts, and then I started making short films in high school and mm-hmm. casting my friends from my soccer team as the actors because I didn't know who else to cast. And, uh, you know, some of them were good. Some of them, you know, not so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. So, so after $70,000 later... Oh, the, um, much more, much, much more. Okay, after, uh, <laughs> after... Double it, double it. Okay, after $100 million later... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was the first more, break? More, more, higher than that. NYU. Higher? higher? I, no, hundred million, higher than hundred million. Oh, jeez, yeah. you should have just stayed there, lived there. I'm still paying off the uh, NYU student loans, man. They're brutal. Really? Oh yeah. Oh man. Brutal. Run. Run. Uh, we can do a whole separate podcast about <laughs> NYU student loans. Oh, they're gonna love hearing this. Yeah. Um, well, the good news is it's probably a lot higher for new students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I got in when it was nice and low. Yeah, $102 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after that, uh, you were pursuing and pursuing. What was the first big break? Okay, so I moved out, and I was kind of out here in 2004, and I needed a job. I needed to make money to pay rent, but I wanted to write, and I wanted to have enough time to write feature screenplays without being in a job that took all my energy and time all day and then I wouldn't have any time to write. Oh, yeah. So 
Yeah, because some people I knew, they were, like, trying to get a job at an agency, and, like, those hours are, like, from 8 to 8, and, like, there's no way I could write a screenplay after that. Nope. So I sought out jobs that were kind of tangentially based in the film industry. Like, there's film industry adjacent, I guess you could say. Like, I looked for jobs that um, would pay decently well um, in... I would work for someone that was kind of in the film industry, but not, like, required intense hours. Essentially, I targeted old men, and that sounds terrible, like a terrible sentence. Uh, I targeted old men. I took advantage of them. No, but uh, I I would, you know, look on entertainmentcareers.net. I, I think it's still a thing. I don't know. but um, It is. It is. Great. Yeah. And it's a great website, because I would find, like, you know, this really old songwriter needs an assistant. Okay. And I, I got that job working for a guy named Marty Panzer who wrote songs for Kenny Rogers, Julio Iglesias, Barry Manilow. Um, he, you know, lives, I assume still lives, I uh, hope, Marty, hope you're still out there, uh, um, in a condo above Sunset. And he's a really nice guy and he would just like, I would help him, I would write emails for him because he taught a class at UCLA. And, you know, hours from, like, 11 to 3. Nice. And 11 to 4, maybe, at the latest. Gave me plenty of time to write. Then I was a... Uh, I worked for a, an older gentleman uh, director named Robert Ellis Miller, who directed... Uh, Alan Arkin got nominated for an Oscar in 1969, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Uh, he directed Tom Conti and Ruben Rubin. I think Tom Conti is nominated. He dis- well, he says he discovered Robert Redford. I-, I don't know if that's true, but there <laughs> is a picture. I think he unfortunately recently passed away, but there was a picture in his office. Um, he's this guy was the greatest guy. He's such a nice guy. Um, he he had this picture in his office of of him maybe in his late thirties, mid thirties, of Robert uh, directing the youngest version of Robert Redford you've ever seen. Like twenty two year old Robert Redford wow. or something. And super like, handsome. Super version. handsome, like, you know and and on a on like a television set from like the late fifties, early sixties, like black and white picture and this it just said to Bob from Bob. Oh. And it was you know, Robert Redford gave it to him. It was really cool. So I got to like, you know, learn about the film industry and they told me lots of and music industry and I wasn't that interested in that, but like <laughs> like they they told me these great stories, you know, yeah. and uh, Robert Ellis Miller would tell me, you know, stories about meeting with writers and how to meet with writers and directors and uh, producers and studio and actors and everything. And so that was a great job. Um, and, it, and that was from like two to six. Nice. So again, plenty of time to write. And then the sweetest job kind of fell into my lap. I became friends with a guy named Evan Hayes, who was at Working Title Films. Mm-hmm. And he was like uh he his now wife was working for uh, a couple that needed a nanny and they were like what about cameron he's a writer he doesn't do anything all day and i was like that is accurate i don't appreciate it but it is fully accurate um and so i got to be this like and this was this job i did not go up for i told them i had no experience but it was the best job of my life the family was so nice the the kid that I was watching was 13 and a fully functional, intelligent, hilarious, 
amazing human being where I felt like civilized. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was like learning more from him than he was from me. I was like, all right, just this kid's, you know, like we'd come home and he's like, let's do homework. I'm like, really? Okay. That's you're, Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was a great. And so while I was doing that job, which would start at three because, you know, uh-huh. he would get out of school at three, you okay. know, um, I was writing all day and my seventh script feature script that I wrote, um, was the first one that sold and it sold to universal. I can talk about how I got, it got to universal and all that stuff if you're interested, but or maybe anyone that's listening is interested, but, um, during that time you took that job, that survival job. During the time I was taking these jobs, I was trying to meet people, meet uh-huh. agents and managers. And okay, how do you do that? Because yeah. everyone tells that story of like, oh, I, I had a meeting, I met, I, I made my break because I met this manager or agent. How? How do you yeah. do it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Well, I can only tell you how I did it. So that's Please. the only way I knew how. Tell um, us how you did it and tell, <clears throat> tell everyone else how they should do it. Well, okay, should do it is tougher because I don't think there's any one way, but I'll try my best. Um, the way I did it was uh, a, a few avenues simultaneously. Uh, one, I was sending just cold email query letters that were very short, saying I, w- I went to NYU, have a script, one short sentence of what it is, okay. would love for you to read it, totally understand if you're too busy. That's it. I was... Sending those out, I was using services, which I don't know if I would recommend. You that, left your phone number, email. Oh, the email. I mean, they they're getting an email from me, so they know my email. So I didn't really. I might have said, you know, thanks, Cameron Fay, and my phone number, but I was just trying to keep it casual. I was yeah. trying to seem human, yeah. because a lot of times these seem so formulaic that they're like, oh, another robot kind of query letter thing came to me. Hungry robot. I was just trying to be a little bit. Just a hair funny and keep it within like two, three sentences total. Yes. Because I feel like people don't read much. So I tried to keep those short. Um, And, but really the way I did it, I met one manager in the line of a, for a movie at Sundance. Okay. He was standing behind me. We started talking. And so I started going to Sundance every year in 2004. And I went every single year just to meet people. Because at Sundance... There's the hierarchy dissolves, and all of a sudden you're in line, and this agent's in line, and the manager's in line, and like, you know, you just producers are there, and just people are all wearing coats. No one's in power suits. Like, you don't know who's who, and everyone's just in a big coat. So, you know, you never know who's important, and they don't know who's important. So, I would just kind of like start talking to people, and I met a manager in line, and he was like, Yeah, send me your stuff. You know, so that was a great way in. So when I emailed him and said, hey, it's Cameron. You know, I met you in line for this movie at Sundance. You know, good chatting with you. Here's my script. Um, And how long did you wait? After I got back from Sundance? After you emailed him, how long did you wait till he responded? Um, I think he responded relatively quickly. How long did I wait to check back in or what do you mean? Well, how long did it take for him to respond back? You know, I don't remember exactly because it's been years, but I, you know, I feel like it wasn't a long time. It was relatively a day or two or okay. something. And then he said, yeah, send the stuff. And then, okay. and then I didn't hear back from him for a while when he actually sent the script. So I had this rule of like, I would check in once a month. Hmm. I would give him a month and then I would write him like, hey man, I know you're busy just checking in to see if you had a chance to read that script. Mm-hmm. Just really short. Hope you're well. And how many months went by well for this well so there's so hold up so that was one of the people i met 
I was also meeting other people. Um, the family I worked for knew a manager, and so they sent the stuff to the manager, at, you know, another manager. Um, oh. There was a, uh, the, mani- the, uh, the family I was a nanny for. Um, and then there was um, a guy I played tennis with who's a director who had a manager at Mosaic, and I played tennis with him for years, and eventually I built the courage of like, hey, would you read my script? And then he did, and I was like, if, since he liked it, I was like, do wow. you want to pass it on? Um, so you did long-term, short-term planning. I, I was meeting was people in different yeah. ways, yeah. And then so from you're, a, you're from like a, a you're like an assassin who's. Uh, I th- I like to think of myself as an assassin. Yeah, I yeah. think about that you're, all the time. Actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're creating assets and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Building, Everyone looks at me trust. and goes, "No, that guy's a fucking assassin, man." <laughs> um, not a nerdy comedy writer. No one ever says that. Uh, so. Yeah, so I had these, like, four managers, essentially. There was a fourth guy I threw a query, passed it on to a friend that was a manager. So I had these four managers that I was kind of, like, I sent my, eventually, the seventh script that I wrote to. Okay. And one guy wrote back right away, said, sorry, not for me. Is this a comedy? And I was like, it was supposed to be. Uh, fuck. Uh, and then, um... Uh, one guy, the guy from Sundance, ultimately never read it, responded, didn't never just yeah. went away. That's um, normal, folks. Yeah, get used to it. Yeah, very common. Uh, one guy kept saying he was going to read it every month. I would check. He said, "I'm gonna read it this weekend," and then a month would go by, and I kept giving him that month. And then the fourth guy, who's at um, Management Three Hundred and Sixty, they said. Yeah, we re- yeah, we like this. There's something here. You know, we want to give some notes and develop it with you. So I was getting notes for those months that I was checking in for like three, four months. I was getting notes from them, wow. and in my mind, I was like, "This is great. I'm basically being I'm like signed by Management You're 360. In. I'm in." Yeah. yeah. And then I remember it was um, Thanksgiving 2006, a little after Thanksgiving. I uh, he wrote me and said, "Hey, so uh, we checked out the new draft, and uh, ultimately it's not for us. But good luck." And I was like, but it's been like four months of, of <laughs> working with you on it. And I, look, by the way, their notes were really good. I think it, they made the script a lot better. So I was happy. It wasn't a total loss. But I was had in my mind at least, I'm signed. And clearly that wasn't the case. So then I did something desperate. And I wrote the fourth person that hadn't, that kept saying he would, read it and not he was at mosaic and i just i wrote him i'm not advising people to necessarily do this i was in a desperate low place i emailed him and said hey i have your kids (laughs) easy buddy (laughs) easy (laughs) not not even close i got student Uh, loans (laughs) (laughs) i have your kids billy moon go and hey it's your podcast that's right you do what you want they know me um they know they know my penchant for Kidnapping. Okay. All right, so what did you say? I wrote this guy that Mosaic, that is a management company, that kept saying, "I'll read it, I'll read it." He's oh sorry, am I doing stuff with the mic? Okay, go on. I said, um, "Hey man, don't know if you've read the script. <laughs> if not, don't worry about it. I'm signing with Management 360." Oh, I love that. Now they just passed on me, but I was like, "I don't care, man. Screw it." And he wrote me right back wow. and said. No, F them, Manager 360, 
Give me one night. I'm going to read it tonight. Please don't sign with them. I doubled down. I said, hey, man, you know, you do you. You want to read the script? That's cool. But I'm pretty intent on signing with 360. I just wanted to let you know. But obviously, I can't stop you from reading the script. You do what you want with your time. <laughs> Something to that effect. The next day, I got a call from him. Dude, your script is brilliant. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Will you please have lunch with me? I want to meet you. I want to introduce you to, uh, introduce you to Jimmy Miller. I want to come meet us at Mosaic. I'm going to take you out to lunch. So I was like, hey, okay, I'll take a free lunch kind of thing. So I met, you know, went, went to Mosaic, met some people there, met Jimmy Miller, who owns the company, like legend, you know, reps Will Ferrell, Judd Apatow, you know, nice. at the time, Sasha Baron Cohen, like many other big people, Jim Carrey. Anyway, uh, takes me to lunch. We have a great time, long lunch. We go back to his office, and he's like, so, you know, Love for you to come here. Love for you to be repped here. I think your voice is brilliant. He's just really laying it on. You know, we rep Judd. You write like Judd. You know, like all these compliments. And I go, ah. How much? <laughs> no. I just like, okay, I'll sign with you. <laughs> and he was like, really? Oh my God. He gives me a big hug. He's like, well, I got to know. What did I say? What, what got you? And I was like, that's nah, just the smark, sparkle in your smile, man. And he's like, ah, that's so funny. Oh my god, Jimmy, we got it's great. And so he's, you know, he's like, that's a good lunch. It's good lunch, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so that's how I got my first manager. I essentially deceived him. But uh, now, if I were you, yeah, I'd be afraid that they would try to uh, do something because they would have like insiders for themselves. You know what I mean? No, I have no idea what you mean, actually. Spies what? at other agencies. No, so what I realized, because this is a management company, and management companies Are generally don't talk to each other about prospective clients. Okay. They don't even necessarily know each other that well. Sometimes they do. And so anyone listening is like, that's not true. They, we, I know some managers. But in general, like they're not calling each other up like, hey, are you signing that guy? Yeah. They're just not going to think I would lie about something like that. Was my gamble. And I think I was right, because they never checked in on it. After, after the, So then they sent my script around to the agencies, but it's coming from a manager now, a manager at a huge company that has a good reputation. Yes. So um, I signed with UTA at the time, and uh, um, they sent me a list in February. I remember it was like early February of the next year, 2007, and they sent me a list of all the producers they were about to send my script to. And I was like, oh my god, these are like the biggest names of every... I mean, I can't believe all these people. Just I didn't realize like probably their assistants but were going to read it. But I just feel like, I can't believe all these people are going to read my script. And then before it went out, the, my manager at the time, Alon, who I don't know if is in the business or not anymore. But I don't know. But uh, he's he's not at Mosaic anymore. Um, I'm not repped by him anymore. I'm a different manager now. But uh, he um, slipped it to this huge producer named Mary Parent who ran Universal yeah. with Scott Stuber and then had a deal at the time on the Universal as a producer and she loved it and said we gotta have this and uh, but it was the first read so they, they my reps are basically like so you have to make this a preemptive offer which means a high price and for Universal to buy it and um, they said otherwise we're gonna send it everywhere and my reps were like, do you want us to gamble and try to get a bidding war? Or do we want to take the offer, which they made a very, very healthy offer, 
Um, take it. And I said, take it. Yeah. And uh, and I really, I met Mary, and I really liked her, and I still do. She's great. And uh, she had, you know, real vision for the movie. And so that was ultimately, um, and they wanted to, and she wanted to back me as a director, which was amazing and kind of her. So I. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. So Her I first sold script. She was. Yeah, and I, in my mind, a part of me was like, man, they're. I'm she's twenty five. There's no, no. I, didn't say she was, I was like, man, they're probably they're definitely better directors than me, but I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> so I just kind of kept nodding and was like, sure, yeah, directed, yeah, directed, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I got every shot in my head. I'll do yeah. it. Yeah, but then you know, as we started developing the script, the writer strike happened, and as soon as we came out of the writer strike, um, Mary left to go run MGM and that kind of is where the project ultimately stalled but um, it was a great time and a mm. great uh, whirlwind kind of way into uh, the industry so and did this go into production? no it never got made it's still universal it's sitting on a shelf or in a file you know somewhere but um are you allowed to tell us the logline at least? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was called. Uh, I mean, it is called. It's still a script. Uh, it still exists. <laughs> um, a natural selection, and it's a kind of romantic comedy about a guy who purposely befriends women, uh, puts himself in the friend zone, so to speak, on purpose to be their their rock, their pillar of strength, their shoulder to lean on. And then uh, eventually when they get dumped by their model boyfriend or yes. soccer player boyfriend or whatever, yes. they turn to him and then he has sex yes. with them. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I remember this. Yeah. I remember this pitch now. Yeah. But I could see it as a TV show too. It could be. Maybe yeah. one day. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Right? Yeah. I mean, TV is gold right now. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast it's not yeah it's not a bad okay. idea uh, you got some good ideas just to rewind a little bit yeah um when you're trying to get your script around script theft it's not really buzzed about a lot but mm-hmm. it's but after getting to know you it's mm-hmm. like really dangerous mm-hmm. really common you think why because i still steal scripts no <laughs> no <laughs> no yeah, you told me some stories yeah. uh, which i'm not gonna detail yeah. here but uh yeah, it happens. So how did you, Cameron Fay, a lone wolf, protect yeah. your script before you email it to anybody? Because you don't even know well, if these people are real. Well, look, yes. Uh, it's. I don't think it's common, but it happens more than... Um, I, I think, look, I think there are so many frivolous lawsuits where someone is maybe have the same idea around the same time and think someone stole something. Okay. And then they sue because that movie later became a huge hit. Sure. Um, I think those are so common and publicized that people think it doesn't happen often. What I think does happen very often is you pitch an idea or a series of ideas to someone and they, the executive might take some of those ideas and pass them off to the writer they ultimately hire. And make it seem like that they're their own ideas, whether they're doing it consciously or sometimes even unconsciously. They just don't even realize that they're they're doing. It. They can't even remember who came up with that idea. Um, but I've def- I've been pitched ideas where I'm like, "There's no way you came up with that idea. That is a writer idea for sure." Um, but I think as far as scripts, I mean, the best way to protect yourself really is to write the script and not pitch, because then you can at least say, "Like, look, here's my writing." I emailed it to this person. 
this person changed a few things and said and put their name on it and all of a sudden it's their script there's a way to protect yourself against that and it's yes you can register with the wga the library of congress library of congress i've heard is a little better um you can do that it's ultimately not full protection um pitching your ideas is is kind of foolish unless you have big reps kind of setting you up on these meetings with real reputable companies but writing a script on spec the and sending it out to people, the chances of them stealing that spec script are really small. But it does happen. And when it does happen, and I've had a friend who wrote a big movie, and we won't get into all this stuff, but you can, it's, you know, court documents are online, and his script was truly stolen. The person that stole it didn't change, he didn't even, you know, change the names that much, you know. Um, it's the same kind of movie, and Ultimately, they sued when the movie became a big hit, and the federal judge said, no, there is more than enough evidence for this to go to trial. And as soon as the judge ruled in that way, um, the studio settled for a high price. Um, Ultimately, I I wouldn't worry, if if I'm a writer starting out, I would not worry about my screenplay getting stolen. I might be a little more cautious about my pitch ideas and my ideas in general and keep those a little closer to the vest until they're fully realized. But if you have the full execution of a screenplay, I mean, I would not be... You have to live. You can't live in a bubble. I would, I Personally, I'm a proponent of sending things out to anyone who will read them as long as it's a feature screenplay. Now, could something potentially possibly get stolen in somewhere someone take the idea and turn it into something else maybe but that's le- it doesn't happen that often okay. do um, you watermark yours no i don't or no nothing no when i get sense you can you can do that if that gives you comfort you can do that do you um, print it on red paper i print it on uh you know, hologram only. Uh, <laughs> Password protected. <laughs> yeah. you, you get a hologram, and uh, you oh, have to shit. read it via hologram. That's no, like, uh, no. That's two look, years from I now. PDF uh, the, the the script uh, to people. I mean, like, you know, obviously, I have an agent, a manager, and a lawyer that you know are somewhat yeah. protective. You know, uh, uh, but and they know who they're sending things to, and they trust those people. But um, you know, I send them to my friends too. You know, I, I mean. And there, there are sites like The Blacklist, which, you know, you, you upload your script. Like, if you want it read, if you're starting out, that's a good website to, you know, uh, I haven't done it personally, but I've heard people that have had success with it. And, you you know, you, you upload your script and you have it read. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be too precious with your finished material. I think when it's in the, the infancy, when it's a pitch phase, you know, I think it's important to keep that a little closer to your trusted group of friends or family mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't go around just yelling my ideas out to anyone but when it's a fully executed finished script or pilot or whatever you're writing I think that's you know I wouldn't worry too much about that Okay. I, I think it almost looks a little amateurish also to like watermark everything and things like that I think you look kind of paranoid I mean my just my two cents I would just say so I shouldn't do that I wouldn't do it I don't I don't think you need to worry about it it, personally it does I mean, make it hard to read yeah it's annoying and it's like yeah. what, what What are you M. Night Shyamalan like why do you why I do you, am actually well, you know, yeah. what <laughs> I'm making glass too electric um, boogaloo um, 
No, but but I mean, look, it has happened. It happened to a friend of mine. It's not common, and I don't okay. think you it, starting out you can't worry too much about it. You have to get your stuff out there. Okay, um, pitching. Now mm. I know by law you can't copyright an idea. Right. That's still true, right? By law. I mean, <sighs> copywriting if idea you mean just like what a logline, a sentence, like a. A general world, um, like you know, or just an idea. I know an, you can't protect your idea. It's it's a risk already. The moment you speak, or I think if you go into a line. room, yeah. Look, look. By the way, anytime I pitch anything, if someone steals it, I don't know how much legal protection I have. I honestly, I don't honestly don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I just don't worry about it as much. But um, you know, uh, anyway. Sorry. Go ahead. How does one pitch well? <laughs> um, okay. So that's pitching. a skill. That's a skill yeah. by itself. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah, did yeah. you progress? So, okay. I progressed, I think. Uh, so after I sold that first script, yeah. I was in a meeting with um, the head of Universal, Donna Langley. Oh, wow. And um, we were talking about my family, my parents and their divorce. And I talked about something to do with their divorce. And Donna was like, that could be a great movie. That's my terrible British accent, Donna Langley. I hope you're not listening. I didn't even hear it. Okay, good. It was very subtle then. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know exactly what the movie was, but after Mary Perrin and I left the meeting, we were like, we should come up, we should develop this pitch and bring it back to them as a, you know, this idea as a pitch. So I said, sure, yeah, it's based on my parents. I can do that, no problem. So uh, my manager in UTA had me come in for a practice pitch, and I just kind of felt like I was going to wing it. Like, I can talk to people. I can just, like, you know, tell them the story. And I was so bad, at a certain point about, I don't know, eight to ten minutes in, I just <laughs> to ten stops. So I stopped, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they were like, What? And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what I'm saying. Am I making any sense? And they're like, no. You've been making no sense. And I'm like, I've never seen anyone pitch. I don't know how to pitch. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You guys have somehow just assumed I'd be able to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And then they, after I embarrassed myself, they explained to me what a pitch entails. You know, talk about why you fell in love with the story, how you connect to it, talk about the tone, general themes. Now, do you go into those details after you give your one-line pitch? And I don't do like a one-line. I mean, it depends. A if short it's, pitch. If it's a, if it's a, well, look, if you're in the room, and this is, look, it's different if you're repped and you're going in when they're excited to hear from this writer that they already know and love yeah. versus like, oh, I've never heard of this person. If, if you're someone that's newer, my advice would be, yeah, you should hone a concise, clean, yes. short pitch yes. um, and kind of say, so it's basically this and it's this movie kind of meets that movie and um, you should have a quick pitch. Sure. Um, I do. Great. You're gonna pitch it now, or you're gonna? Oh, you, you should wait. You don't want to give it away. Yeah, I got to copyright it first. All right. Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, for this pitch, where I knew I was gonna go into Universal, I knew I was gonna, you know, try to sell this as a pitch. Yeah. It was not um, focused on like a log line. One sentence was pointless because I was gonna tell them the whole movie. I was gonna tell them 
who, you know, why I connect to this, what the themes are, what the tone is, and then I was going to take the beats and I was going to tell them, so we're open on this, the inciting incident is this, the end of the first act is this, the midpoint turn is that, we come into the end of the second act, it's this, and going into the third act, it's this, and that's how we end. And I was going to give them the broad strokes of the entire movie. Did and you like, bring anything? Visual so aids? So I eventually, I didn't bring in visual aids. Music. This one. Um, I didn't bring in music to this one. Um, I brought just my pitch pages, which I did not read, obviously, but I occasionally yeah. had to glance down at to kind of keep my place. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of made up my own system of like highlighting key words and moments in my pitch so that even if I lost my place, I'd see like a key word and it'd get me back on track. Um, now I use an iPad to pitch. And actually now, so I've evolved to the point where I've really realized, and I'm not saying this can work for everyone, that the more pitchy it sounds, the more salesman-y you sound, the less likely you are to sell it. Now, when you're a really hot writer, I'm not saying I am, but some writers, when they're really hot, they're going to buy pretty much anything from you. And so your pitch doesn't have to be perfect. doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Mm. you know. But I've now got into a mode where I'm pitching two shows right now. And I have on multiple occasions not even opened the iPad to look at my pages. I've just decided I know the show. I'm going to talk to you about it. And if I forget something, well, you don't know because you've never heard this before. Yeah. And if you feel like there's a gap, you'll ask me a question and then I'll answer it. Yeah. But I make it more conversational because I don't want them to feel like they're being sold something. Because I think human nature is when you feel like you're being sold something, you push back. Yeah. So there's interest. Exactly. Especially when you're like very formulaic and you're like, so as we go into the second act or whatever, you know, in, in TV it's pitched differently than, than movies, obviously. This is where the budget will climb to 2.3. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to, yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, I've definitely evolved in pitching. And there was, there, there have been a couple times, and one time I think you remember because you helped me with the poster, where I went in for a pitch on a book adaptation called Cosmic. And I was like, I see the poster. I've never done this before, but Billy, will you help me with the poster? This is what I think it should look like. I forgot about this. Yes. Yeah. And you made a great mock poster for Cosmic starring Jason Siegel. Yes. <laughs> if you remember. Yes. And I got that job. Yes. Yeah. The movie never went anywhere, but I got the job. Actually, this is kind of crazy. There was a regi- So I got the job. I had my first kickoff meeting where we went through my outline and kind of talked about what you know we reworked some of the outline with the executives at Walden mm-hmm. and then I was sent to script and as I started the script I got an email from the executives oh, no. uh, saying we've all been fired oh. and they're doing a huge regime regime change and and uh, we're all leaving they didn't know what the future of the company was at the time now they have regime regime change if you will so anyway uh, point of that was uh, you know I that that new the new people came in were like why is this movie book being adapted I don't I don't get it uh nope not for us and so that project died there but I did get paid which was nice all right Billy is sad no I'm not sad I'm just thinking about those dreamers out there trying hey gotta keep plugging <laughs> keep on keeping on 
What do uh, beginning writers, don't tell us how much you make, but just give us a range of like what beginner writers can expect to get paid so they're not low-balled for features. Yeah, well, okay. So if you're working with any company in this town, they should be Writers Guild signatory. They should have an, a signatory agreement with the Guild. Otherwise, they're probably not a very legitimate company. Every single movie, even a lot of indies, not all indies, some some indies you're like, hey, look, we're trying to make a movie for a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's different. Um, but any company in town that's making movies, whether they're at studios, mini majors, or even indie financiers, mm-hmm. are almost always sh- and should be guild signatory. And the guild, the Writers Guild, has a list of minimums that you need to be paid. And the first thing, delineation of those minimums is whether the budget is over $5 million or under $5 million. Okay, so for example, and this is, it's called a minimum basic agreement, an MBA, where they have with all the studios, all the networks, all the production companies, um, and what it says is, say for example, you're, you're, you're hired or you're asked to write a movie or someone wants to buy your spec script, and the budget is over $5 million, or should be. Let's just say that. It's a sci-fi, you know, $30 million plus movie or whatever. That's true. Um, there you go. Uh, the minimum, and I don't know the exact numbers, and I can actually look them up, but around 120000 Oh. Minimum. That's higher than I thought. Uh, let me double check. But then the um, for under $5 million, I think it's like, for a script, it's like forty-five or fifty thousand, um, and that's the lowest you can get for a feature screenplay. I'm not talking about TV, just yeah, feature yeah. Uh, screenplay. So, um, and those numbers go up a little bit every year as negotiated. They get a little bump every year, um, but and it also depends if there's a treatment involved or not. But essentially, let's see. For right now, which is the after five two twenty eighteen. Um, for an original screenplay including treatment which I don't know what that means exactly but it's let's just say original screenplay including an outline or treatment yeah. or some fucking whatever um, <laughs> the low budget is 75,000 sorry and the high is 140 not bad so um, if that would you, set me up for a year sure sure um, <laughs> original screenplay excluding treatment Meaning, this just the sale of a screenplay. Ballsy is fifty thousand for low, one hundred and two thousand for high. Meaning, oh. high is over five million. Right. And these are the lowest amounts. Um, you obviously can negotiate for higher. And is there a law or rule that you have to get paid that amount at a certain time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the guild actually has. It's a, you're supposed to get paid within seven days of your work wow. start. Um, now, do companies do that? No. But you are allowed to then go to the guild and say, hey, I haven't been paid. It's been seven days. And they will start the clock and give you late fees, which is 1.5% every month compounded annually for 18%, equal 18% a year. So obviously, if they're a year late, you're getting 18% on top. Most writers don't even know that or know to do that, or they're like scared to. Uh, you know, I think you know. Look, if they pay you, to me, and maybe the guild's like, don't say that. They pay me in a couple weeks. You know, I'm not like going crazy. But if it becomes months, yeah, no, that's, that's not fair at all. It's 
not fair, but you're still getting some change. Yeah. But you should be paid relatively quickly. And it's the same no. with a rewrite. Because most times when you buy a script, you get steps. Steps means rewrites. Um, and so, um, say they buy your script and they layer in one or two steps. Rewrites for you. Um, those have their own minimums, amounts. Um, and they should, they say, okay, you're commenced to start the rewrite. Then, you know, it's seven days again. And when you say you turn in the re rewrite, another seven days. Um, now, again, it, de it depends on how you loose or tight you want to run with that. I, again, I, I, if, if they say, look, oh, we're going to pay you, I, I'd rather just like, I don't worry about it. But um, if it's going to be months, mm -hmm. then I think that's a problem. And I think everyone would agree, even the studios, people are like, that's insane. Yeah, you shouldn't wait months to get your check. No. So. Yeah. It's not at all. It's not that shady. Um, long time ago, you told me a very anecdotal story about, like, it's okay to get fired as a writer when other writers are mm -hmm. being hired. Mm -hmm. Like, you should take that and be proud of it. Walk away gracefully. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, if you worked on a movie... And you got fired so that another person that can come on and rewrite it. It means the studio is spending more money on the project. Hmm. And if they're spending more money on the project, it means that there's more of a likelihood that it'll get made. Because they still believe in it. Yeah. They're not going to spend money on a new writer if they don't believe in it. And this is the kind of studio game. I mean, obviously in indie movies, it's a little different. I think it would hurt a lot more on a smaller bu budget movie where you're not getting paid much to get rewritten. But um, if you're on a studio job, uh, look, it's a job. And sometimes they go, look, you did good work, but we're wanting to bring in some fresh eyes and someone that's going to kind of maybe do a... It could be just a polish. It could be like a comedy pass or could be a structural thing. They, they might not know what's wrong with it. They might have someone do a heavier pass. And that's, look, it's, it hurts. You know, it sucks to, yeah. to be told, like, hey, we're not going to continue with you. Um, obviously, though, you have a contract, so you kind of know, okay, I, I had two steps. I did my two steps. Or I, have one, I had one step. I did it. Um, I knew there was no guarantee beyond that. Um, this, I knew this day could come. Obviously, you always hope they're going to pick up optional steps or ask you to continue working in some capacity, but it doesn't happen that way always. And your and name is credited no matter what. No, that's not true either. <laughs> and that's okay. a, that's it depends. Um, it depends on uh, if it's an original script or an adaptation, and it re depends on if you were the first writer or not. So the quick breakdown is, uh, if you wrote an original script, um, you can only you can your name will be on it if. Uh, all the way down to a shared story by credit. You could be rewritten so substantially that they basically think, wow. okay, part of the story is still yours and that's about it. All the the four other categories that they look at, uh, dialogue, new and different scenes, characterizations and characters, and dramatic construction. Those are the four that the WGA arbitration committee looks at to assign credit. For an original screenplay, your name, yes, will definitely be on it. Uh, but it'll be at the lowest shared screen, shared score, story by. At the highest, it could be sole written by. You know, you just don't know. You have to go through that arbitration process. On an adaptation, hmm. you could have your name completely disappear if the work was so substantially changed. I can see that. Um, that does happen. So um, not often, but it does. 
Um, yeah, so, you know, and I've been an arbiter on these things, and I've been a writer in the arbitration process. It's never fun. No. I, you know, as a writer, I always hope to get at least shared credit on a project, because, and I think we all do, yeah. because we feel like, no, my work's in there, you know? It might not be... It's my it, baby. Is it 33%? That's the cutoff for original screenplay, you know, or even ad- adaptation. Like, is 33% of it in there? Uh, I hope so. I don't know. Is it if it's thirty percent? Should my name not be on it? If it's thirty, you know, it's like thirty-four percent. It is in, but thirty-three percent, I'm not in. It's just a, it's a really hard number. And it's an inexact science. Um, so, um, you know, my how do they even determine that? You know? It's really difficult. It's really difficult. It's and the arbitration committee is fellow writers. They're it's it's you know writers reading writers and deciding on who should get credit. And people have various opinions about how the credit process should be run at, at the WGA. And it's one of the, actually, it's one of the um, most important parts of the guild because it used to be, the reason it was created is because producers would be like, oh, I think my cousin should get a writing credit on this and just give writing credits back in the day. Um, so it's something that I think that is taken very seriously because not only is your credit at stake, but on a big movie, a lot of money's at stake. Let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> Just hit um, you with the heavy stuff. But hey, you know, you write an original screenplay, your name will be on there. So, mm. why comedy? Uh, you know, I think I naturally just gravitate towards comedy. I don't think I have a choice in the matter. I don't know how to write something purely serious or mostly serious. Um, I've started writing things that aren't purely comedic. I've started writing things that are some kind of where in the middle, where they're a little nuanced, and there's a mix of drama and comedy, and and those are actually some of my favorite movies and shows. But um, I I I don't know. I I have I just I've always wanted to be funny. Maybe I just need people to like me and laugh at me. I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, in high school I was that way and. You know, in college, and I just I tried to write some dramatic things in college, and and I shot them even, and they're really bad. I wrote, made some short films that are absolutely horrible, and they're just pure dramas. You just picked the hardest genre to specialize in. Well, it's only hard if you if it doesn't come naturally to you. It doesn't. Well. I think you're a pretty funny guy, but that aside, I think if you if it comes naturally to you, then other things are really hard. I think writing a purely gripping dramatic scene yeah. is really hard for me. I don't I, I need I my 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 fingers keep wanting to type some kind of little humor into every scene. And even I've written very dramatic things where I think this is some of my better writing where I undercut it with humor the same way like Alexander Payne does, you know. I'm I'm not saying it's good as him, but you know, um you know, there are certain filmmakers that, like, can can have balanced drama and comedy brilliantly. Yeah. Um, you know, like Alexander Payne and Cameron Crowe and, and Judd Apatow and even, you know, going back, <sighs> Preston Sturgis. And, you know, there are a lot of filmmakers that have just been able to, like, you know, Billy Wilder, that can just do this great dance of comedy and and heart and, and you know, everything in between, so. Can comedy be taught... Or do you have to just kind of yeah. be born with it? I think comedy can be taught. I think you have to probably be born with something. I think you have to understand generally the anatomy of a joke or 
understand what's funny or even want to laugh at things. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are, there there are schools, whether you know UCB or Groundlings or whatever, that can really hone your comedy and you can really you know become focused in it and really um, improve. You can teach people to become better at comedy. But I think you probably have to have some baseline, you know, base understanding of comedy before, you know, there are people that just aren't funny and will never be funny. And you can go to to school after school and you probably won't get too far. And that just means maybe that's just not in your DNA. It's not for you. Um, but in general, I think it can be taught, and you know, except for some people that are just not funny. <laughs> What about these uh, rec- last recent uh, few years of uh, comedies? Have any of them struck you in any powerful way? I know there have been comedies in the theaters where I'm like, oh my god, that was so funny. I mean, I can think a few years ago, and this is maybe reaching back, but and this movie, I don't think it did well financially, but I remember laughing consistently really hard at the movie Popstar. Do you remember this movie no. with Andy Samberg? No. Candace and I went to it and we watched it and we laughed the whole way through. Impossible. Like, we left that theater being like, that was one of the funniest movies we've ever seen. Um, you know, I don't think it did great, but that's sad because it was super funny. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure if I thought about it, <laughs> I don't go to as many movies these days either because um, I have a baby now. And, uh, when you have a baby, you don't go to movies anymore. But <laughs> um, just took a sad. Turn. I'm sure. I'm sure there are good ones that I've. Uh, I liked Game Night. I liked you Game did. Night. I liked it. I. You didn't like I it. I did not. Okay. Why didn't you like it? It wasn't funny. Okay. However, uh, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, he's great. He made me laugh. He's great. He's I, so I creepy. Love, <laughs> Yeah, I love awkward characters appearing and disappearing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just by simple uh, camera yeah. and editing. Yeah, and this guy's in the same uniform with his dog. He keeps showing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jason Bateman's great. I mean, he's great in everything, but yeah. I just love he. He's the only guy who just kind of mutters mm-hmm. when there's breath, mm-hmm. sarcastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's that's great. his thing. I think. Yeah, he's just he's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like Game Night. Yeah. Okay. I, want, I yeah, wanted to. Fair. Yeah. I really wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you had to work with other writers on the same thing? Have yeah. I worked with other writers on the yeah. same movie? Well... Or how do they work it out? Like a film will have three writers, four or five. Yeah. So, okay. So there are a few things. Um, usually on a movie, I won't work with another writer except for and I've done a few of these recently there's a thing called roundtables where they whether the movie is done and they're going to do some reshoots or they're it's an animated movie and they're going to rework some of the animation or um, it's actually before the movie shot and it's still in script phase um, they get a group of writers together this, they do this more in comedies than anything else um and they do a round round table, and essentially we, I just did one for a movie where it's an animated movie, and we watched basically the whole movie in storyboard animation, and some scenes were kind of 
basic animation. Mm -hmm. And we then spent the next day, and they pay you by the day, kind of telling, giving them all of your notes and thoughts and jokes and ideas, and it becomes like a brainstorming session. And they get, you know, anywhere from six to eight writers in a room. And we do that with the executives and with the director, and we all just kind of get together and do that. Oh, um, and it's super fun. It's like one of the most fun days. Oh. It's great. This sounds like torture for me for some reason. Okay. Well, maybe, you know, don't, try not to do any of those roundtables. But, um, you know, they pay well, and it's actually a lot of fun. And you get to meet writers, other oh, okay. writers. Because as a feature writer mainly, I don't get to meet many writers. Now, um, that's the main time I interact with writers. Obviously, if I were on a TV show, I'd be interacting with other writers daily in the writer's room. Yeah. But as far as features... I don't usually interact with other writers in the feature process. I'm usually interacting with the studio execs, the producers, or if there's a writer, a director or an actor on board with them. Okay. Any current or future projects you can discuss publicly? Uh, <laughs> I don't know when this is going to... It's a top secret business. ...pop out on the, on the podcast, on the Apple uh, podcast. But, um, well... Um, I wrote a script that Ruben Fleischer is attached to direct. Uh, he just directed Venom. He's about to direct Zombieland 2. Maybe he'll do that movie after that. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but you got paid. But it got paid. Okay. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And he's a producer and a director on the movie. And he's brilliant. And uh, would you know is, he's a lot of fun to work with. And would be a great um, for this movie. And just in general, I'm excited about for him because he's just I think a super talented guy and very smart he he gives very uh, good notes and um, he's, he's a smart guy um, and then I wrote a thing a movie for Freeform I don't know, do you know what Freeform is? yeah the it's new a network, network. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and it's gonna come out this they're, still, they're actually just finish, finishing shooting it right now um, and it's oh, gonna nice. come out this Christmas as part of their 25 Days of Christmas and it's called Life Size 2. And um, it's ba it's the sequel of the movie Life Size. Uh, with this, the original was with Tyra Banks and Lizzie Lohan. And Tyra Banks is back for the sequel. Nice. And, um, Lizzie Lohan is not. I don't think so, but we you know. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. But I don't think so. And uh, Cameo. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, um but uh, yeah it's coming out this Christmas and it was a lot of fun working with them and I hadn't seen the original and but it you know it has a huge fan base you haven't seen the original I hadn't I have seen it now of course before I started working on it but I hadn't seen it you know <laughs> growing up I was uh, gonna say that's amazing well it came out in 2000 and I was already yeah, in college so yeah. I was not you know your $102 million uh, tuition, yes. Yeah, I was uh, busy, you know, giving over the, my life rights to NYU. But, um... Uh, oh, they hate us now. Yeah, I love NYU, by the way. It's the best experience. You guys gotta go. If you haven't been, you gotta go. If you have $200 million, you should, you should go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, yeah, so that's those are the couple... I mean, I don't know, there's probably... But that's, okay. yeah. What's your favorite book? Okay, so my favorite book is A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers. Um, have you read it? The great writer Dave Eggers. Yeah. I have not read it. I know him, though. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Uh, yeah, and so um, this was his first book. Wow. Um, 
and I believe he was a finalist for a Pulitzer for it. I'm not sure, but um, I it just has such a unique, powerful voice, um, a voice unlike anything I had ever read before, and it absolutely grabbed me. And I would actually say that's the most important advice I could ever give any writer starting out is to find your voice, because yeah. your voice is your commodity. It's what your asset. It's what it's what people will try to sell and how you will make a lot of money um, and throwing money out of it uh, it's what will give you the most joy writing is writing in your own voice um, so reading Dave Egger's voice in that book which just felt unfiltered and raw and real and funny and tragic um, it was beautiful and it is I you know I can't I read it uh gosh I must have read it maybe ten years nine 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 ten years ago, and it's still my favorite book to this day. Nice. Would you ever write a novel? I have so I did start writing one. Yeah. And then other projects have gotten in the way. I hope to one day go back to it. Um, I would love to write a novel. I think you realize the sheer volume of writing that is needed in writing a novel when you've only been writing screenplays where like a feature script is like 20,000, 25,000 words, you know? And like... So different. A novel has to be so many more than that, you know? So, um, but I, I've got about like 75 pages of a novel that I'm, that I'm con slowly, occasionally continuing on, but I haven't found the time. Can you tell us the genre any kind of tease? It's, um, it's a friendship travel dramedy, if that makes sense. I don't know how you describe it in dramedy in a book form, but it's a, it's funny, but it's also got, you know, yeah. some heart to it, but it's, it's, a, I mean, it's, I think it's comedic ultimately, but it's a friendship travel comedy. Okay. Cool. You're like, okay, that sounds awful, but, uh, cool. Cool, cool. <laughs> Good luck with that little travel book you're doing. I'll read it. I'll read it if it's under 200 pages. Well, I only got 75 so far, so... Uh, yeah, you're almost done. Yeah. <laughs> and this is too hard at the end. That's what I should just write on the last page. Okay, well, look, I know you got to go to sleep soon. Got the baby. You got the baby. Mm -hmm. You got the wife. Mm -hmm. You got this great house with mosquitoes outside. <laughs> outside mosquitoes. Waiting to kill you all. Yeah. Um, and you're writing 700 new scripts right now. And uh, camera up, but yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, and uh, I want to thank you again because sure. for those of you listening, Cameron's actually really very talented into it. <laughs> actually, yeah. Actually, despite how even if he sounds like an idiot, he's actually super talented, <laughs> intuitive, uh, talented actor. Oh, uh, right, because right. I remember like uh, we would improvise take after take. I didn't have to say anything to you. But it just, it always worked out. And it's always fun. Make the crew laugh, which slows down the process. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's not an enjoyable experience for a director. <laughs> like, no, this it's guy fine. just keeps improving. It's he's fine. making the crew, he's fucking around. It's just, yeah. Well, look, you know what you want. And I know you know what you want. Mm -hmm. And I hope you direct more. Thanks. You're going to keep writing, but I hope you direct more and act more. And. Hey, you might even try other genres and be good at it. Mm, okay. Kind of like me. Yeah? Yeah. You try other genres? I just don't write them. That's oh, all. They're just, just in your head? I just play it in my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Enjoy that movie in your head. Uh, okay, final question before we take yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got a quote that you repeat in your head just to get by? Oh, <laughs> what's a quote to get by? No. Yeah, your financial quote, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I don't have a, uh, a quote to get by. Okay. Um, just pick one. Well, no. I have a quote that... Maybe this is to get by. It's a William Goldman quote. Writer. Yes. Um, Misery. Princess Bride. Yeah. Butch Cassidy. Sundance Kid. Uh, what did he say? Well, the, the quote that usually most people... The part of the quote that most people say is nobody knows anything in reference to this movie industry um, and I think that is true to remember nobody knows anything and I guess it is a good thing to keep you keep going because if you listen to people telling you oh, you can't do this you can't do that you just have to remember like mm, actually nobody knows anything um, and, and the rest of the quote is not one person in the entire motion picture field knows for a certainty what's going to work Every time out, it's a guess, and if you're lucky, an educated one. So, uh, to me, that's the quote that pops up into my mind often because I think this industry, and I, you know, uh, we're talking about screenwriting, obviously. So this industry, it's a lot of rejection. Even though I'm sure this podcast might have sounded like, oh, and then I just did this, and then I'm doing this, but there's a ton of rejection, like dating. Yeah, I mean, I've been married, you know, for a while, and I've been dating for a while, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, if you want to equate it to that, sure. It's uh, it's like dating. It's uh, No, but I think, yeah, it's it's true, actually. It, it, it is like dating, and it is, um, it's a lot of rejection until you find, you know, the producer, the actor, the director, the studio exec, whoever it is that just gets you, gets your voice. Yeah. And then I think once you have that validation from that quote-unquote important person doors just open up for you but you have to remember when someone says this isn't good or like that manager told me like is this a comedy this isn't funny that script sold for half a million dollars okay like that guy didn't know anything okay so it just took one person to go actually i love this so i think at the end of the day it's important to remind yourself when you get these rejections that ultimately nobody knows anything it doesn't mean that you should like walk around you know, saying everyone's wrong and I'm right. It, that you have to include yourself and nobody knows anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. It truly is that we're making art. It's so highly subjective. We don't know what will hit and what won't because it's just a stack of pages and it's not the finished product. The finished product is going to have music and cinematography and acting and directing and costumes and all the other departments that go into making a film where any one of those things, whether they're brilliant or horrible, will change the direction of the movie. So... Nobody knows anything. It's true. Um, something I remind myself of. And it's also good to remind yourself of that when you have a great moment. Keep yourself a little <laughs> humble. Like, hey, okay, I'm going to ride this, but nobody knows anything, man. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, on that note, nobody knows anything, but they're going to know something <laughs> soon. All right, Cameron, thanks for this chat, and uh, I'll talk to you next time, yeah? Yeah, thanks, Billy. <laughs>